This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 714. And this week, we welcome Andrew and Kelvin Reinhardt of Tramex Meters. We're going to talk about moisture monitoring in the 21st century, new technologies, remote monitoring, and integration with estimating and documentation platforms. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget about afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, sponsored by First On Site. IAQ Radio Plus Marquee Sponsor is First On Site Property Restoration at firstonsite.com. IAQ Radio Association sponsors are ACGIH, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org. AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org. IICRC, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at IICRC.org. The Restoration Industry Association, RIA at restorationindustry.org. The Environmental Information Association, EIA at eia-usa.org. IAQ Radio Industry Sponsors are Particles Plus at particlesplus.com, TSI Inc. at tsi.com, Tramex Meters at tramexmeters.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at healthyindoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to John Corliss, who's with Peer Consultants in Washington, D.C., He was first to identify clean air delivery rate, CADR, as the standard developed by the Association of Appliance Manufacturers in the 1980s to measure the performance of air purifying devices. Here's today's trivia question. Name the electrical engineering term defined as the measure of the opposition that a circuit presents when a voltage is applied. Back to you, Joe. Okay, we've got Andrew Reinhardt. He's the chief technical officer of Tramex. He was taught from a young age about moisture in buildings from his father, who was the founder of Tramex Meters, along with their mother, and inventor of the first commercially successful non-destructive moisture meters for building inspection. He's learned from the best moisture professionals in the roofing, flooring, IAQ, water damage, and pest control industries. We also have Calvin Reinhardt, the sales director of Tramex Meters. He's been part of Tramex leadership team for almost 15 years in sales and as the managing director. Prior to joining Tramex, he was a general manager at Mayfield Properties in Ireland. Welcome, gentlemen. Great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you, Joe. Andrew, you, welcome Joe. back. Kelvin, welcome for the first time. Great to meet you. Um, tell, do, do us a favor, Kelvin. Our listeners know a little bit about Andrew. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you do at Tramex. Okay. Well, I'm basically the salesman, so... <clears throat> I, uh, <laughs> I'm spinning the yarns when Andrew's telling the truth. That's basically how it works. <laughs> uh, you, you were also in direct contact with the people in the field doing this type of work. Um, very true. Very true. 
I'm, I'm wondering, how do you determine, like, you've got a couple new offerings we're going to talk about today, but how do you determine what new products are needed in the field? Good question. So I don't, that's the answer. But the, the, the first answer is that the customers basically will, will ask us for things, constantly great ideas you get from customers. Andrew's the one who'll take it and uh, put it to good use and turn it into something that, that makes sense. Um, so basically, I think the customers are the ones who tell us what they need. And of course, we, we, we come at it from one particular direction. I suppose different than other moisture meter manufacturers. We are we Andrew will maybe explain a little better, but we come from a from a different angle at it, and we stick with what what we know and what works for us. And Andrew, what what are the trend lines right now in moisture monitoring? What are the, what are the kind of the new things that people are looking at, and and uh, what are you looking at at Tramex for the future? Um, there's, there's a few things to that. One is, um, using, combining different measurements to get more meaningful, more in-depth meaning to the results. So we, we come from a a history in the industry of different products competing with each other, um, where they should really complement each other. So we're seeing a sort of return to that, you know, people are focusing on pinning and mapping and, somehow like measurement versus scanning or, or, or uh, um, res- uh, comparative readings. So we're seeing a return to that. We're, we're including also uh, temperature sensors into the meters so that we get good uh, information um, about, you know, combining psychrometrics with moisture measurements. You know, when we had you on um, a while back now, we, we were talking about the, those issues a little bit. And and it seemed, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me a lot of the um, need for both environmental measurements and moisture measurements comes from the work you've done with concrete. Is, is that accurate to say, or is that something that's kind of both concrete and other building materials? Yeah, it, it, I, I would say that it, it's a combination. Um, I think you could even go further back in the history of Tramex to the roofing, to original um, roof testing, where they use a, a combination of like core samples or in destructive testing with mapping. Um, and then even in the EFs with the external insulation, when we, we dealt with that issue, um, there was a similar thing. There was a lot of pin probes. There, these long pins came from that, and then they were combined with scanning devices. And similarly in concrete, you do a, like an F2170 test or some sort of measurement test, but it's complemented by a, a lot of comparative testing or a lot of um, qualitative testing. You know, on, on the show you did before, I, I, I went back through Cliff's blog and it, it was interesting for me to reread it. Um, moisture moves through concrete in the vapor form, but also mo- most of the moisture found in concrete is from airborne sources. I would think a lot of our our audience um, kind of that's kind of new to them. They would think more that moisture problems more typically come from environmental sources, from outside sources. Um, how did you? How do you determine where the moisture comes from on a concrete project? Well, one of one of the products we developed recently, and we've actually launched it, is the uh, 
concrete probe, which is now known as the determinator probe. Um, but it's it's an impedance probe. So it, it measures when you put the meter on the surface of the concrete, it, it sends a signal into the concrete and takes a measurement. When you drill a hole for F2170, you can put this probe in and it will give you the same measurement, but from the bottom up. And so that gives you a really good indication. Is the moisture coming up from the concrete or is it coming from the environment, as you said earlier on, into the concrete? Is it coming from the top down or the bottom up? But the the, the process is very sim- uh, similar. So basically the surface of concrete is usually slightly cooler than other surfaces within a building because there's constant evaporation from the concrete. So that cooler surface can cause the condensation of moisture from a a vapor into a a liquid. And that's what causes the issues. Sometimes we see that coming from the air, from the ambient conditions within the environment. And sometimes we see it coming up as vapor from deep within the concrete or underneath the concrete. But but at that surface point, as the vapor is is coming to that cooler point, it, it condenses. And that's what's causing the problems. So we see that the problems we see are liquid moisture, not vapor. Um, vapor, as you know, if you're distilling water, is pure. It doesn't carry alkalinity or anything else, as some people think. But it's the uh, alkalinity that's already there that becomes saturated by the liquid water that causes the problems. So- and um, Kelvin, let's, uh, John, if you would pull up the. Um- I think it's the MEX-5. That's kind of the new product that's out for, for concrete. Kelvin, can you tell our listeners a little bit about, our audience a little bit about this particular, the changes, I guess, that you've made to include more uh, more measurement capability in this particular product? Absolutely. The MEX-5 is actually not the concrete-specific meter. This is a general building material meter for yeah. all types of building materials. It will give you a comparative reading on concrete, for example, but... More than likely, it's going to be used on top of a surface where you can test through the surface and look for, for moisture in below the surface in the concrete or, or in, in other building materials to get a comparative reading. It is basically the, the all-in-one meter for, for Tronics, whereas we have specific concrete moisture meters which are designed for measuring moisture in concrete that Andrew's discussing a moment ago. This is the general purpose, all, all bells and whistles moisture meter that uh, carries all of our best um, technology to date. So we've in 2019, we released the CME X5, which is the, the digital concrete moisture meter. And the newest innovation there was the built-in hygrometer at the surface with the, um, <clears throat> with the temperature readings and the RH readings that are constantly being picked up. So that's extremely important for documentation purposes. You're, you're, every time you're taking a moisture reading and, re- and storing it, you're also recording a moisture and you know, humidity and a temperature reading at the same time, which is vital. So the other part about that that we introduced at the time and, and is also with the MEX5 is the Bluetooth. So our brother Dylan is the app developer and is that we have four brothers in the company, by the way. So Dylan and Jeremy are also <laughs> working within the company too. So Dylan is in charge of the technology in terms of the app, the platforms, the, all of the, the Bluetooth functionality, the TREM system, all of that end of things is all his domain. He's got a team working with them, and they're all incredibly smart people who develop this stuff for us. So the, the documentation that comes with these meters is now developed with Bluetooth. It's picking up readings. So, so there's a number of different ways to do that. You can create a moisture map. You can take a photo of the instrument, 
pick up your geolocation, pick up the time, date, all of that stuff. And you're picking up all of these readings at the same time, which is extremely important where you have more documentation than possibly a, a contractor is intending to take or you know they're, they're gathering all of this data at one time. So apart from that, sorry, I'm going to keep going on for a moment, Joe. The, the Moisture Encounter MEX5 has, is our latest version, which also carries the built-in onboard RH thermometer and sensor and humidity sensor. But it also has the ability to, it has the shallow depth scale, which the ME5, which is our, our analog meter carries. But it has the ability also, it has a built-in uh, infrared surface thermometer on the back. If you can look at the back of that picture, Mm. that you just showed a moment ago. <clears throat> so it's picking up the surface temperature constantly as well with all of the readings that you're taking. And that's another element to, to apart from some advanced features, which we won't go into, but uh, there's, there's a lot of cool functions that Andrew's put in there that allow for baseline um, reference readings to be stored for, uh, for lots of different, the psychrometrics area of it. Uh, anyway, the, it's as simple as you need it or it's as complex as you want to get with it. Uh, it basically arrives as a simple moisture meter that tests all different building materials. And, and you go into the functions, into the settings, and change the advanced functions to turn on all of the extra functions, which I won't go into right now. Now, John, pull up the concrete meter as well, and then show us the back of that, because I've always had a question. I never got a chance to ask anybody. Um, what would that be, moisture meter? CMEX5 would be the concrete. best one. Yeah. Next one. Next one. All right, now look at the back of this meter, John. Go to the third photo over. I just want to show our audience um, those pins. How does that, why do I need those pins on a concrete meter? I don't see them on anybody else's meter, although I'm sure others are now maybe doing the same thing. But how do they improve the accuracy of your moisture measurements on concrete? That's one for you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> They do two things that the there's this un, an unevenness within concrete that it, it can help correct for. Um, but the biggest, I guess, secret of it is it keeps the electrodes just slightly away from the concrete, just a just a fraction of, a, you know, of a, a millimeter away. And that overcomes an awful lot of issues you have when testing Concrete, e even if you use a meter like the, la the other meter as a comparative meter, the surface of the concrete affects the readings an awful lot. And that those help overcome that, basically. So it's more to do with the polished, if it's smooth versus a rough concrete, the uh, surface will be quite conductive. So you need to sort of go over that surface. And that's the purpose of those. And those, for those that don't know, those pins kind of depress when you when you push it down on the, on the concrete. Is, it, it, what's the intent of depressing the pin? So you push down, and then when they're fully compressed, then you take a reading, and yeah. uh, you you know when you're using it, there's a point at which it's not it's not a very hard push, but if you push harder, it won't change the reading won't change, um, and that's that's what you want to get to to get the, the highest reading you can. Now, now, Andrew, does this also have the dual depth feature, and why would that be important in concrete? It doesn't have a dual depth. Um, the dual depth for concrete has to be more precise, and that's why we developed that probe, that determinator probe, oh. uh, that 
that goes in. It, 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 is it there in an accessory? Um, it's anyway. in under the moisture meters on the left. <clears throat> uh, if yeah. you go to moisture meters and down to CMP in the middle. Nope, just back up again to... CMP, yeah, there you go. It. Okay, it. so this pro... Oh, okay, I see. If you look at the last photo, Joe, sorry. That explains it best. So uh, that, that goes into the same hole that you drill for 2170. But instead of measuring the vapor within the hole, we're measuring the moisture from the bottom to the top. Um, and therefore, there's no waiting. You, you can use it immediately after drilling because drilling affects the vapor within the concrete, but it doesn't affect the moisture in the same way. And so it's instant. That has been an issue over the years is that you've got to wait with that with the typical meter that you put the probe down into the concrete. How long do you have to normally wait? The standard calls for a 72 hour, or sorry, a 24 hour period before inserting the probe. And that's uh, important. That It's really important because there's no point in waiting. Otherwise, the whole purpose of that wait is to overcome the effect of drilling the probes, uh, drilling the hole, I mean, with the heat, and it pushes the vapor. And then the vapor comes back, and it increases for a short time, and then it goes back to normal. Um, so that 24 hours is there to overcome that time. And actually, it's a, you know, these standards are a minimum standard. We we can do it faster. Um but the point is you wait before you put the probe and then it works really well. Gotcha. Okay. Cliff, I, I want to make sure you get a chance to jump in. And I know there was a, um, uh, a text question. Maybe you want to ans- ask. Okay. Um, well, I guess the text question was why does the new meter have specific gravity on it? Good question. Will I jump in there, Andrew? Sure. Yeah. Do you want to do that? So, Specific gravity, when when you're talking about non-destructive testing of wood, then the most important factor in with the meter is the, the density of the material that's being, that's being tested. With pins, you've got a, such a small little space between the two pins. You're measuring between the two pins, and so it's easier to get a more accurate reading when you're testing with pins. The idea of non-destructively testing wood is to not leave marks, not leave pinholes, and to test a much larger area more quickly. It's more convenient, but it's not as precise. However, you can make it more precise by adjusting the specific gravity. What you're doing is basically adjusting the sensitivity of the scale to match the density of the wood. So specific gravity is obviously published and it's out there in the field and it's uh, you've, you've got a, a, a websites that give you the specific gravity for each type of wood. But within that, it's the accuracy of specific gravity to be the same from an oak tree that's grown in Ireland to an oak tree that's grown in the United States isn't going to be a uh, isn't going to be the same for everything. We we have incorporated the specific gravity in such a way that you could take a test with the pin probe in an out of the way area, maybe behind a couch or under a chair or something, and match that the moisture meter reading with the non-destructive function, so that you can accurately get a more a more exact figure for that particular type of wood. And that's what we intended to use with. But there, it is possible to just take a reading, to take a, me- a specific gravity from a chart and say, okay, 0.6 is oak, for example. Switch it to 0.6 and say, hope for the best. But using the pin probe together is a more accurate way to do it. Would you agree, Andy, have anything else to add to that, Andrew? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, the specific gravity is actually a measurement of how wood floats in water. So anything over one sinks um, you probably most people know that, but just to say, so it is a it, it it's a sort of definition of the different densities that wood can have, and 
as Kelvin said, that if you had an oak tree growing in a valley or on the side of a mountain, the density of the tree growing on the side of the mountain is going to be more than the in the valley. So, you know, the most accurate way is to, yeah, to use the pin meter and then match it with the using the SG adjustment to get the same numbers. Um, but you, you can do it both ways. I'm going to and, rephrase another text question that we have. Um, are there any low-cost meters that are reasonably accurate? And I, and I guess what, what they mean by that is you make precision instruments uh, that actually that are specific to certain types of testing and so on and so forth. You guys are the market leaders, and I think everyone realizes that because in many situations, the standards, uh, you, you made uh, equipment that meets the standards. Uh, I, I guess in terms of the other folks, um what's the best of the worst i guess is probably <laughs> yeah no i i appreciate the the question because you know people want to um use a meter I, I think the important point is that the calibration matches the national standard calibration i think that's you know and if we take pin meters which are probably the most widely available meters um we want the readings to match in the United States, we wanted to match the forestry Douglas fir calibration scale that's available. If it doesn't match that, there's no point in using it because, you know, the whole point of a pin meter is for accuracy um, over sort of large area testing. So as long as it, you can check the calibration that it matches and it's not that easy to do, but I, 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 you know, there may be some of the cheaper meters that have managed to do it. Um, you, you just check the calibration to that standard. I'll just jump in there quickly. Add, add to that if I can, is that um, it was an interesting thing. Andrew taught me when, when I started working in Tronics and he was teaching me all about the business and the, the scientific end, end of it. And, one thing that he mentioned when customers asked that question was, well, if you put a piece of tape down on a concrete surface with a plastic sheet and wait 24 hours, you'll get a much better idea than you would if you put a pin probe on top of the concrete, which a lot of people still use to this day. We come across people who would say, you know, you can use a pin meter designed for wood and place it on top of concrete to get some sort of reading, which uh, we would not stand over or recommend in any way. But placing a plastic sheet on the surface with some tape is a, is a, is a much better way to look at you know how much moisture is still there, not by quantifying it, but by seeing the presence of the dark spot to say that it's still wet. Yeah, that's if you're using a pin meter. So that that, that if you were using a pin meter on concrete, the answer is don't. You know, the the only time you can use a pin meter in on concrete, in my view, is either if you're drilling right into the center of the concrete. Uh, perfectly so the two pins are getting a good contact at the bottom or in in circumstances where there are already floor coverings uh, there and you're trying to get to the top of the concrete um, it will give you it will be more meaningful when there's already a floor covering because the evaporation of the surface won't happen if, if as if it was exposed um, so it is possible when you're doing some post installation testing or inspection that you uh, can use a pin meter to touch the top of the concrete. But in general, it's not a good measurement for concrete. Okay. Um, 
I'd like to kind of switch tracks here. I think we got most of the text questions here. And, um, well, I get, let, let me go back to this one, just on concrete. Are there any other that give a reasonably accurate reading, I guess, some of the cheaper, simple meters in, in, in use doing concrete? And I, I'm not talking about a pin type, but surface type measurement. Are, are there any other meters that, that you can say give a reasonably accurate? I mean, we've been doing this for years. Not everybody has Tramex. Are we all wrong? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> how's that work, Andrew? Yeah, you're all right. No, <laughs> we're all wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, there, there's a few things. There's there's some copies as well coming out. Um, so, you know, in this, if you're in this industry long enough, you get you get copies. Um, we don't. We try not to test them because, you know, um, we generally, if you ask the manufacturer of a product, what's the science behind why it's designed? They'll either be able to explain it to you, or they will uh, just say, "Well, we copied the one that worked." Um, <laughs> you know, and if you copy the one that works, then you lose the science o- over time if, 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 as it's adopted. You know, so. But at the same time, our, our intention is to keep innovating and stay ahead and uh, keep being the best. And w- one of the things with the new products is we have over-the-air updates working in the background now, which which means that in time we expect that pe- we can improve people's product while they already have it, you know. Um, so there's a lot of things there that we're, we're sort of working on to, to, to keep as the best as we can. I, I I wonder if, you know, good. there's good secondhand meters as well, like, you know, available, especially as new products come out. There's a lot, a lot of good secondhand meters. And I guarantee if you take a 20-year-old Tramex concrete meter and you compare it to a, a new Tramex concrete meter in terms of measurements, you know, the numbers will be the same. Um, that That part of it hasn't changed. What we've done a huge amount of work on and what I think is really valuable is as Kelvin mentioned earlier on, uh, our brother Dylan's work on the app in the background. It's just it keeps getting better and it keeps getting better. And because we're doing it in house, we can keep improving it. We can add all sorts of reports. And the the big part that's always been missing is the the proper um, uh, reporting from pe- from the technicians. You know, it's not missing, but it can be improved. You know, as uh, I think William said on this show one time. William Thornton mentioned that he 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 got the he got a, a concrete test results written on the back of a a, a paper plate. Still had tomato ketchup on it, <laughs> you know. And, and that's one extreme, but at least he got the data, you know. So yeah. with these meters, they as you take the readings, they're in the cloud, and you can share them or whatever you want. Um, so it takes a lot of the work the tedious work out of it you know you kind of let led me into the question and um you know when it comes to technology i think a lot of this technology really goes over some of our audience's heads you know not all of them are into testing concrete and, and and so on and so forth so what i'd like to do is how would you explain this i guess to a six-year-old i mean how do you explain what we do and how we do it you know the meter the bluetooth and 
so on and so forth. And then I want you to explain it to a 73-year-old, which I am. So, <laughs> And it might be easier to explain it to the six-year-old because I think they're already more savvy with the computers and the technology. They might know what Bluetooth is, but in any event, if, I'll give you the floor. Go ahead. I'll try a 10-year-old. But, Kelvin, okay. do you want to go? No, you go. You go. <laughs> Ten, okay, 10-year-old will work. <laughs> well, you know, I'll I'll just do an overview, and and maybe Calvin could go into a bit more detail on the say the tram system or something right. like that. But That's fine. An overview is that you know moisture in buildings can cause problems, and uh, it, it moisture is either in a, in a form of liquid, it's in a form of vapor, it could be in a form of ice, um, and it, and the other form it's in is absorbed moisture. It's it's absorbed into everything there's moisture in everything with the exception of maybe some plastics but in the majority of materials have moisture there absorbed and adsorbed but without going into the detail it's 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 there so these devices will tell you uh, how much of the moisture is there as a liquid form how much is in a vapor and how they interact and the and the way i would explain it to a 10 year old is that uh, vapor you know is moisture flying Basically, it's like Superman, you know, and to fly, it needs energy and it, it, and it takes that energy as heat. And so when you have moisture evaporating or flying from a surface, it's pulling that energy as heat. So it leaves the cold behind and we can find that we can measure it, we can track it and we can use that to help us to understand how moisture behaves within the building. I'll try the 73-year-old, Cliff. I was going to say you look great, by the way. But, uh, the... Well, I, I still got a couple more days till I'm 73. So that's <laughs> well, probably next, yeah. next week, right? So but, I guess uh, for a 70, for someone in your position who's worked in the industry, who understands the technology, understands what we're trying to measure and what we're doing, I suppose the difference, what we're, you know, what... What's happening with all of this technology now is it's making life simpler. It's making work easier. It's making making it's allowing technicians to work smarter, to record readings easier, to you know make their make their job simpler, spend less time doing the paperwork when they get back. I guess it gives them chances to you know the chance to to possibly get more jobs uh, without having to spend all that time sitting down writing it up afterwards. And that's the intention. We're we're trying to make, you know, documentation much easier with this. And of course, integrating with other apps and other platforms allows that even even more. Talk more about that in the second half. We're going to talk about the uh, Tramex remote environmental monitoring system and some of the issues that come up when doing remote environmental monitoring. Before we do, we want to thank our sponsors. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site your trusted full-service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. Association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org. AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org. The Environmental Information Association, EIA's multidisciplinary membership, collects, generates, and disseminates information concerning environmental 
and occupational health hazards in the built environment at eia-usa.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, IICRC.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the oldest and largest nonprofit professional trade association dedicated to providing leadership and promoting best practices through advocacy, standards, and professional qualifications for the restoration industry at restorationindustry.org. Industry sponsors are Particles Plus, feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us, particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, tsi.com. Tramex Meters, developing modern dynamic moisture meters and humidity monitoring systems since 1974, tramexmeters.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Andrew Reinhardt and Kelvin Reinhardt. Um, what I'd like to do focus here on this on the second half is the remote environmental monitoring system. John, can you pull the, the website up and show us that? And maybe we could have uh, Kelvin kind of just explain what this does and why we why you've developed this. Of course, absolutely. Uh, why we developed it, I think, was because for many years we've been asked for it by customers. Back to our original point, the customers dictate what we do. So I think it's fair to say probably 10 years since the first time somebody asked us for could we, could we uh, wirelessly send information from one location to read it in, in an office or I don't even know if phones were that prolific at the time. But these days you can, you know, you can place a sensor in a building with a, with a hub station and pick up the readings all day long on your phone, anytime, check in on your, on your desktop device. We can set alerts that uh, tell the, the contractor that the, um, the humidity conditions or the temperature conditions have gone above or below the set, that, that, that whatever they wanted to set it to, to say that they need alert. It can tell them that the power has gone to the system. So, you know, could, could mean that the power has gone on site. Um, it, the system is designed to say that the you know, I, I'm, I'm out of power, but I'm running on battery, which will last up to 48 hours and continuously give the readings in that time. Give the give the uh, the contractor enough time to get down and, and see what the conditions are like, see what's going wrong. What else? Um, so I guess the, the questions from customers were, were, can I remotely monitor conditions on site? And yes, that's what we've done. It's not It's not the first system in the world, but we believe it is. Uh, one of the better ones. Cliff, let me turn it over to you for this section. Yeah, no problem, Joe. I, I, I kind of appreciate that. Um, I guess, first of all, um, from the restoration contractor standpoint, I, I understand all the advantages of having it in terms of, uh, you know, saving time and, and getting this information and, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that happens in the United States, and I suspect uh, it's happening in, in Europe and, and globally is the insurance industry tends to weaponize technology that contractors invest in 
sure. you know, trying to keep up and trying to stay ahead. Next thing you know, the insurance industry weaponizes this uh, against them. And, and uh, you know, so I guess uh, th- that's kind of a concern. And, and how, how can we address that? Andrew, you want to jump in there? Are you? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a great, it's a, it's a really good point and it's an important point to understand and to uh, explain properly that, you know, what you're getting with remote monitoring is really two or three data points in a particular location that you set up um, for somebody to use that data against you, they would have to understand it properly, you know, and, and the person, the technician should have enough understanding of what they're reading to be able to explain it to, to everyone. It's not a, it's not, it's not more than it's a, it's a useful tool that will tell you in real time and record in real time, the environmental conditions and also the moisture conditions in the, in the materials. That's all it is. It doesn't, uh, it, it it it's really just a tool for the technician. Well, let me let me ask you a question. Would it be possible to have two different color sensors? I got blue ones and I got yellow ones. Okay, and let's say the yellow ones are mine, and the blue ones are the insurance companies. Okay, so if I go out there and they want to use my data or whatever. Fine. Here's my sensor. Here's your sensor. It's sitting right next to my sensor. So you're going to get that. You're going to get the exact same thing that that I'm getting. So we're both looking at exactly the same thing. Because one of the ways that the insurance industry weaponizes it is they look into a standard like the S500 water damage standard, and it says you must do this and you shall do that, and so on and so forth. And then they turn around and go back to the contractor and utilize readings uh, and so on and so forth uh, against them. So uh, is is there a limit on how many sensors, um, you know, one of the, you know, that you could place on, on a job? I, I think, Cliff, as a, as a salesman, I like that concept personally. Okay. The, the, more, the more sensors we sell, the better. So, okay. yes, okay. It, it, the answer is yes. With, with trends, it's totally possible that, um, that the account, so the, the system, the sensor is associated with the account. And the, the same base station will pick up all of the sensors, but it won't send it to the same account. So, so in other words, if, you both, if you're all using the same base station, within the building, we can have a sensor that's on my account and a sensor that's on your account. And I can't see what's on your coming from your sensor and you can't see what's coming from my sensor unless we share it with each other, which we can do. So, you know, we can all share the projects with each other. So you could you could do a job with 100 sensors. I could do a job with 100 sensors and we could share them with each other and both see each other's system if we wanted to. Okay, so is there a way that, and, and I suspect that these sensors are they measuring surface or are they or are they taking air measurements? So they're doing air, humidity, temperature, dew uh, um, point grains per pound readings, but also surface temperature conditions with a with a surface temperature uh, probe. Okay, and as well as that, they can do WME, which is you know basically pinning in the wall or or into a wood structure, into a plasterboard structure, and monitor conditions of, of moisture content in that way. Um, but then, yeah, and there's also an external RH probe that can be placed into a concrete wall, concrete floor, 
and, and left in place and monitoring as long as the humidity conditions are not over 95% where you have or, a chance of condensation. Okay, so I, I want to approach it from the other side. You know, I was talking about, uh, you know, insurance companies trying to weaponize this, uh, you know, against restoration contractors. Then you have restoration contractors that are trying to weaponize this against insurance companies. So, you know, as a contractor, if I wanted to, it, how would I? Uh, imp- how would I use? How would I uh, create bias? You follow me? How would I create long-lasting worst-case scenarios on a project? So you mean if you wanted to extend the job? Yes. Yeah. If I uh, wanted the job never to dry or, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> well, you could. I guess <laughs> I don't want to give people ideas, but. You could put a probe into a into a glass half full of water and cover it over and pretend it's somewhere else. I, I, I'm right. You know, there there are all you know. There's ways of misusing most technology, um, but but in general, as long as the meter is set up correctly, it's in the in the room. It's just picking up atmospheric conditions and doing so with a, with a quite a degree of precision. And accuracy. Now, the, the reason I asked is I had a very un, unusual consulting project this past year where I was asked to be an umpire uh, on a water damage claim and incurred in uh, eastern Pennsylvania. And there was broken pipe in this house and the house had uh, a uh, vinyl asbestos tile floor and it was underneath carpet and so on and so forth. And this happened during COVID. So there were some underlying circumstances. But in any event... Um, the, the contractor had drying equipment and air scrubbers in this project for months. And he was relying on a remote monitoring system, which was not yours, by the way. And, uh, and I think what he did is put pins probably into, uh, you know, areas uh, of wood that were in contact with the flooring and would have been the worst area, you know, would have been the last areas to dry. And in any event, I think that's probably what he was basing this whole drying project on. And uh, what I I think could have been dried in probably a week or two uh, at the most, uh, he billed for for months. And then he charged uh, this daily rate for utilizing the monitoring system. And, you know, he explains and, you know, he's citing the IICRC S500 that you should put in these monitoring systems and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And he never went out and checked the job, you okay. know, in, in between because of COVID, you know, uh, wow. he was afraid of COVID and the client was afraid of COVID and so on and so forth. And I remember asking a question of him that I never got an answer to. Uh, was there a separate entrance to the basement? And something tells me that there was because he never gave me an answer. So, uh, <laughs> so in, in any event, uh, it kind of, you know, raised, raised my feathers and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a difficult situation to have to make a choice of how much money he's going to get for, for drawing this project. Uh, when... It's an interesting, interesting question, Cliff. And I think it's, it's a, particularly tough situation for the homeowner in that situation and probably, you know, and obviously for the insurer, um, it would occur to me that, that the, that 
the use of remote monitoring should improve that situation rather than make it worse. I'd imagine that that could be done without remote monitoring just as easily in terms of the, the you know, him saying that it's still wet. I was listening. Obviously, the, the COVID thing is unique. Hopefully, we won't have to deal with that again right, but, <clears throat> any, you know, anytime the, the, soon. Right, but the thing is, he could have given the client a moisture meter and explained to her yeah, how to okay. utilize yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, one of the one of the things that just pops up to me just as you say that, Cliff, and sorry for jumping in, no, but please. it's it's he he seems to be measuring a pre-loss condition and using that as an excuse to um, continue drying, which is an old trick, I believe. Whether whatever equipment people right, use, right. Um, if you somehow get into something that you know is a pre-loss condition, then it's it's you're cheating. Um, if you do it accidentally, one of the issues we, one of the big things that this remote monitoring we hope will bring into the industry is an upscaling of knowledge of the technicians and, you know, getting them to use their time more smartly, you know, Um, because as Calvin said, the, the opposite should have happened in that case. Like he should have seen that and said, there's no drying going on here. What's, what's happening, you know? Um, and he should have been on site saying, well, why is there no drying? And uh, even if he couldn't get on site, he should have been asking them to move equipment, check equipment, whatever, um, remotely, you know. Um, so that should have told him, you know, that 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 prolonged conditions that weren't changing should have told him there's something wrong. But it didn't. It just he he was able to basically cheat to say that actually it takes a lot longer than it does. And you know, being a, involved in this, that it shouldn't have taken that long. And I think the majority of the people on this uh, on this call would know that it shouldn't take that long. And the remote monitoring equipment should have told them there's no change. It's not even drying slowly, you know. How, how often do you recommend people go out and, and look at this equipment and make sure it's, you know, still set up right and so on? I know it can tell you a lot of things remotely, but it seems that you, you need to get some eyes and ears and nose on the project from time to time. Do you have any specific recommendation? I, I would say that shouldn't change. It, sh- it shouldn't make a difference. It's it's a piece of it's equipment that the technician is using. And, you know, you get some jobs where you can get a lot of time on on the job and others in, say, big flooding events where, where people are stretched and they're going from one job to another trying to, you know, manage everything. And it's just another tool uh, to use. One, one of the things that we notice in, in the history of bringing out equipment or bringing new technology is that initially technology can be quite expensive. And so... What people do is they compete. They say, "Well, you can you could cut this cost by using this technology." We we saw the same thing with roofing when when our deck scanner is like a big, almost like a big lawnmower that goes along the roof measuring flat roofs. And when infrared came out, it was brilliant. I mean, infrared technology it gives you um, the surface temperature monitored, and it can tell you so much information. But it became a competition. You use this or this which made no sense at all because one was measuring temperature and the other was measuring moisture or, or finding moisture. So after a period of time, that settled down and most people use both me- meaningfully, you know, um, together. But in the but initially it became very expensive. And, and this is one thing we've tried to do 
is to remove the the costs, the continuous cost out of remote monitoring. Um, to so there obviously this equipment costs um something as it always does, but once you have the equipment, then it there's no continuous cost. Um, and the, our intention is that you know this is a tool for the for the uh, for the um, inspector. It's not meant to be, or for the technician. It's not meant to replace them in any way. You know, yeah. you know, in the United States, and I suspect it's the same in in the UK. Uh, they use radar. You know, the police, the state police, so on and so forth. They use radar, you know, to check your your speed. And if you hire an attorney to help you. Uh, you know, deal with the with the speeding ticket. And one of the things the attorney always does is they challenge the calibration uh, of the radar device. You know, when was it calibrated? Now is it calibrated? And, and 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 so on and so forth. And you know, sooner or later, if it hasn't happened already, you know, someone is going to have to defend uh, your system uh, in in court and and talk about calibration. I know you guys are big on it. How do you calibrate it, and how can we prove that? You know, it's been calibrated, or how often uh, do we deal with calibration? So, if you can answer that, very good point, Cliff. Very good point. And actually, it it does happen. I, I want to point out first of all that obviously most of our business is in the USA, and okay. uh, you know, right. Europe is is very much secondary to that. So, um, the 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 issue is a, a daily occurrence where customers will call us up looking for calibration of devices because somebody's on site has has challenged them and said you know where's your calibration certificate and of course you know i have to say most people don't calibrate their devices but a lot of people do and they would take it very seriously and they do it and we would recommend annually checking devices send them back to us for calibration for a calibration certificate but in between times we have calibration checks for all the parts of the devices that you need to check to to use on a on a monthly basis or bi-monthly or quarterly, whatever whatever amount of time that you're using all of our devices, it's it's a good idea. So, you know, with, with a large organization, we'd often recommend calibration tools that they can use when they meet up quarterly or something for and they can all test them and take photographs of testing them and record them with the app and show that they've, you know, I've checked my device and, and I know when it's in. So we have calibration. In fact, Andrew, I think you have something there. That yeah. might be a useful conversation we were just looking at before the meeting, which uh, which fits into this very well for TREMS, which, uh, yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, the, the, well, there's t- two sides. First, the sensors are calibrated um, uh, to a very high degree and, again, checked on on uh, on leaving here. This is for, for RH and uh, temperature. So with moisture meter calibration, our meters of the, you know the people are always commenting they're amazed by how they hold their calibration over years um and they're very stable but we have plates to check them our rh sensors can be a little more sensitive to condensation to different uh, things that they can be fixed so checking uh, humidity calibration is a good idea but there's really good ways to do it um that don't require as much effort as people think. Um, I would always recommend to people to keep a master unit. You know, if if you're buying a, a data loggers, especially for commercial drying, just keep one that you mark as and, and never use it on site. And then just check that one every month uh, and then just compare it with the others. That's much faster. Um, you can check all of them as well. And we've worked on 
providing that equipment to do it. So I, Calvin mentioned, I, I have a new product here that we're about to launch, which is we, with it, we s- supply calibration salts and you can see there's like a bottles with you mm-hmm. put the probes in. So, um, they, they tend, you know, they, they're good, but they tend to be a little slow um, because this, the chamber within them are, are equalizing with the humidity. So we've brought out what we believe is much, much faster. And uh, I, I don't know if I can show you with my, I noticed my computer screen seems a bit foggy. I'm going to give it a rub. Anyway, um, I don't know if I can show you this. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So this is this is two meters. I've got... I have um I can turn the lights on. So that I if you, I don't know if you how well you can see it, but okay. At the top there's an onboard hygrometer, and next to it is a plug-in humidity probe. And there's either these ones for doing 2170 or there's long narrow ones for building inspection. The the this has different chambers for each one and you can either have the kit depending on what you want these are for the data loggers or for the trems uh these are the red one is for the 20 2170 high grade probes and the other one is for the built-in uh probes and then there's an attachment for the narrow probes as well so this one i put in as we started the discussion i put put these in they're both reading 73.2, 73RH, 73.2. Then on the onboard, it's 73.7, and this one is 72.9. So they're all reading about 73% after about, uh, how long have we been on the call? Um, and we expect after about an hour that they will come to 75 at, at, the, at the most um, and once, they, and even now, actually, you can say they're within calibration because the tolerance is plus minus two percent, or, or one point five on some of the sensors. And so they're very close to be confirmed already. So it's what were those little canisters that were in there? Let me show you. Um, I'll go through. This one is already primed, but it this one is for the trems for the for the anyone who's seen our data loggers, right? These plug on so you can see it's it's a it's a two-walled canister as you said so when i un i unscrew it uh i can show you now i'm taking out this this uh cotton or sorry it's wool i think it's um it's saturated in salt uh solution and in the kit this little chamber comes with a bunch of them they're all saturated you just use you just pick them out and put them into each chamber and then you uh you seal it up and then the probe goes into it i see so it's like buying a scale and i have little weights to yes correct yeah yeah so if you had if you had pure, pure water in there, the RH would go to one hundred percent. Right. If you if you soaked up that those cotton right. uh, cloths, but but because of the salts, it reduces the RH, and it should be at seventy five. And then you know it's perfectly calibrated, and they're they're great sensors. They're they're, they're um, 
really and and uh, you know when you talk about pin meters and um the different cheap ones out there when it comes to rh the differences are huge between the cheap and the right and quality so you're looking for accuracies of plus minus two percent if you have plus minus five percent uh it's something you could use at home over years for monitoring but it's not something you would use uh as a, on a commercial uh job or even as a professional we're going to be challenged yeah uh let's john let's go to the roundup all right the roundup sponsored by our newest sponsor tramx meters uh Guys, I, I just want to mention to the audience, we also have had some great uh, conversation in the chat. We will put that up on afterthoughts.iaqradio.com after the show. But I want to bring in at this point the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Pete, I, I got to give you a chance to have a few words with the audience and with our special guests. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing all my moisture mop gear. Remember, I'm, not, I'm one of the consigliaries along with the Z-Man of... Uh, for the mob. Um, so, you know, I weighed in and after listening to Andrew try to explain to the 10 year old, I'm thinking there's no 10 year old that's going to understand. That. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> I, I posted in the chat, you know, maybe Einstein might, but you know, and as far as the 70, as far as the 73 year old, I mean, you know, maybe some of this science is really not meant to be uh, explained at that level. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's an adult conversation, but, uh, you know, um, the 73-year-old, as long as they haven't wheeled us into the home cliff, you know, when you have time to take the kids out and, and, and you're fishing with them and waiting for the fish, it gives enough time to try to explain it to them. So if they're going to come into the moisture truck, you know, I, I was, it's funny, our, uh, talking about kids. So uh, our our friend, um, uh, our friend, uh, John Isaacson from the Diojo, a couple of years ago at the winter break, he, he brought his young son out. Of course, his young son, he's, he's always six feet taller. He's only like 14 to 15 years old. And he brought him out and he was a really great helper with doing a lot of this stuff. And at one point, his name is Zeke. I said, Zeke, so why is it that you're coming to the winter break event? You know, it was all about techno, about mold with your dad. And the kid says to me, I'm very passionate about mold. I mean, that kind of stunned me. I'm thinking this is a 14 year old kid who's passionate about mold. Okay. Well, he's, he's coming down the right road. He was at the right event. So, you know, who knows what kids uh, care about? So listen, I, I got a couple things to say. Um, the uh, so regarding the question, Cliff and AAS, boy, these guys, they, hey, Andrew Kelvin, so you guys are responsive to the show and everything else, and here they're coming at you with these tough questions. It's kind of like they're throwing you under the bus, but they give you a lifeline <laughs> and, and pull you out before you totally get crushed. <laughs> um, I, you know, it, the, the whole issue about the remote monitoring and everything, I agree with what Andrew said, is that it's uh, it's just a tool in the toolbox. And I think people take it out of context. And it was interesting when he talked about the comparison with the infrared, because I remember with Lou Herman, you know, Lou Herman was the, the first person to actually introduce uh, infrared technology into our industry. And he uh, did some training, you know, with the WLS program back in the early days, him and Mickey Lee. Uh, picked all that stuff up and um, uh, there was a lot of misunderstandings about the use of it because with temperature differentials it could be air seepage around windows and not necessarily moisture but you know that's kind of evolved well if if you all recall 
a few years after the infrared was in the marketplace, I mean, those first models that came out were like that, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And then they came down to be less than a thousand bucks for a decent meter. Well, when they first came out, they that there were people in the industry, and I don't know if the IICRC has one of these for certification, but they they put out a two you day mean camera, not meter, right? Um, uh, infrared camera, yes. Uh, thank you, Cliff. But they came out uh, with the thermography class. They were offering certifications, these two day thermography classes, and they were teaching people how to use the infrared cameras. How not to, uh, you know, how to understand the false readings and the temperature differentials, the time of day, what part of the building, all that kind of stuff. And uh, but it was a tool in the toolbox. And I think eventually, like Andrew said, the industry moved to using a combination of moisture meters and infrared uh, camera technology, you know, as they put these pretty sophisticated inspection toolboxes together. If you look at guys like Ken Larson, John Lapeterre. They, they have their kits are like little mini suitcases with all the foam in there. And they're like $20,000 worth of stuff. And that kind of seems to be like what the inspectors use in the field. Now, what I, where I think things are missing in the moisture meter area is a lack of training and technical knowledge. People are dangerous with those meters. <laughs> Whether they're cheap or expensive, I don't think it matters. I think that if they don't know how to use the meters, they don't know how to interpret the information, the implications of that. And Cliff, you remember, we talked about this 20 years ago when we first rolled out the WLS class. The responsibility that the technicians and inspectors have in using these meters to get this information right has huge impacts. That's tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Those recommendations that they make to the building owners, to the uh, insurance companies, you know, the government agencies, the proper, whoever's paying and ultimately responsible has used implications, not only in determining scope of work, but in uh, determining, well, do people need to be living expenses? They need to be out of buildings. You know, is it dry? Are there health implications because they gave the bad information? And, uh, you know, for instance, a lot of the stories that our friends like Mike McGinnis and others talked about after Super Sam Standy, the real problem with Super Sam Standy didn't come out until months later in the spring when those buildings started to thaw and the industry struggled. They didn't understand and know how to, to deal and dry properly in a cold weather storm event. Years later, a few years ago with the Texas freeze, maybe we improved, but I, you know, I think there was still a lot of problems. That most of the events are all, you know, they've been in hot, humid climates and uh, it's, it's easy to start removing moisture in there. You know, the challenge with us drying out issue. Uh, is a different issue, but this is what the problem is. And I think that the industry probably needs to move to having some kind of uh, uh, a better technical training. And I, I hate to say we need to get certified because there's so damn many certifications, but there needs to be some way to demonstrate the competency of people that they know how to use this instrumentation uh, because the implications are big. And I we do need to ha uh, train uh, the, the third-party administrators uh, who act as intermediaries in the insurance companies and everything else. I mean, one of the other things, Cliff, you, you recall when we worked quietly behind the scenes several years ago after Katrina, and we were working uh, uh, through the association uh, with the FEMA group and everything, we had a huge impact that most people don't know about. And, uh, we, we don't even want credit for it, but I'm bringing it up now only in the context, you know, 10, 15 years later. But we convinced FEMA that they needed to write into their protocols 
that people needed to do moisture testing, some level of moisture testing before they started closing these walls up. And they said, how can they do it? Remember how resistant they were to doing that? And we said, well, look, you can get the cheap little probe sensor things that were good to about, you know, would beep at 17 or 18 percent that they, they, they could buy at Lowe's or Home Depot for $20. At least it was something that the consumers could buy because the government said, well, you can't expect the, the people to go out and buy a three to five hundred dollar meters that they don't really know how to use. He said, no, we, we understand that. But you can't just feel or touch something. And then the next thing you want to do is you're going to start closing all the walls up because that's when there's moisture trapped in there that starts to evolve over the next, you know, the CIH is on this call in the next six, 12 months after that, uh, through the mold that grows through the damp materials inside those walls and the pressure differentials in the intertitial space, it comes out, the mold starts floating and they get slow exposure and there were health implications. And there's tons of stuff in the literature that show that. So the fact that, that, that we I got them to do that, I think was huge and I think it helped the whole industry. And um, but we need to do probably do more in that area that uh, that the professionals are trained on that and 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 then market to the general public and everyone how important it is that they understand, you know, how to measure for moisture, to know that things are dry. And, and it's not because they, they touch something or they they uh, they feel it, they look at it. Uh, is there a smell in there? There's not a smell. You know, that stuff just doesn't work anymore. And uh, now that the technology is is pretty sophisticated. And uh, I think it, there is a potential that it could be used and abused because unfortunately with the insurance answer, a lot of times, you know, they, they need to have some metric and they want a cookie cutter approach to everything. And unfortunately in the long run, that actually probably cost them more money, but you know, they can get their arms around it and they can have consistency. It may not be the, in their best interest. So anyway, that's kind of the way it is. But uh, in any case, uh, I think that's a, a pretty important thing. I appreciate the brothers coming on. You know, there's so much that could be talked in this subject. It's hard to cover it all in one hour, but um, yeah. I think they they did the best job that they could. Yes, sir. Pete, I think that you know that's a great roundup. I appreciate it. The the point about uh, training and everything else is it's so important to testing. Um, we we've we've taken on, on this new meter. That we were looking at. If you look at the back at this this uh, infrared thermometer, there, it means we can put in the ability for measuring water activity. We can do the delta T from the dew point uh, to the uh, ambient to the uh, dew point to the surface temperature, and we can do all these different things that make it more. There's a second sort of verif verifiable number. If you if you start looking at water activity numbers and people don't give you the right numbers it means they don't they don't know what they're doing and, and they're not trained properly whereas if they give you a number from one to a hundred and say it's a you know this is a moisture measurement it doesn't mean anything unless they can properly explain it so yeah training is so key to it yeah well and i also think too andrew that you know i mean look there's 20 or so people on this call and they're all pretty high level but most of the impact that these uh these shows have are the downloads and particularly Cliff's blog, which really has the key information and, you know, hundreds and maybe a thousand people will review those blogs for the key points and maybe they'll listen to the show. Maybe they won't. I think that uh, the afterthoughts is good. Like having a guy like Bob Higgins on here, he's like the shell answer man, you know, he starts answering the stuff in the logs. It'll be great for him to weigh in 
you know, as we go over to afterthoughts on this, because it's going to, you know, it's a technical discussion. And a lot of the guys in the mob and guys like Mickey Lee and Lou Herman and all, they're, you know, they're obviously very highly technical people and leaders in the, in the moisture in that area. But I think that, um, I think that who you buy your products from, I'm talking to the contractors now and, and even the lead assessors is important because just buying something off the shelf and buying it, uh, whether maybe you get a little bit better price or not, but have you bought it someone that can give it a technical support? Can they, can they answer your questions? And so not all suppliers are the same. Some people just sell on price and they're just order takers. Others want to support the customers and they want to, uh, they have technical departments and their salespeople are technical people. They're not just somebody that, you know, just wants to take an order and get a commission or whatever, or hit some quota. So I think that's important. And uh, not everybody cares about that and that's fine, but this is what separates, uh, you know, the cream that makes the cream rise to the top. And so, you know, anyone who's listening to this or, you know, Cliff always does a great job of putting the key points uh, in the blog. He's fabulous at it. Uh, Andrew and Kelvin, he, he's going to finish that blog up today. You're going to get it. You'll have to Monday to comment. And then next Wednesday or Thursday, it'll, it'll, it'll go out to the IAQA database. And I think that, uh, you know, the YouTube thing will be up by the end of the day. Uh, I know a bunch of people said they couldn't make the call, but they'll listen to the, to the, to the interview as soon as it goes up. Um, so, you know, that's that, that one thing, Andrew, I want to tell you, Andrew, I'm going to tell you right now on the air, the Aussies want you to come out there next year for their conference. It's the first week of June in Melbourne. You're one of the few, you know, uh, Kelvin's been out there and uh, Ronan's been out there. But I, I'm, I'm hearing from some of the Aussies, there's going to be a bunch of some real technical stuff on the program and they want you to come out. So you ought to start thinking about Melbourne next June. Of course, I'm going to see some of the brothers and see you guys uh, in February in Florida for the winter break event. Looking forward to that. Appreciate all your support on it. And uh, well, and Cliff will be there. IQ Radio will have a show and there'll be a lot of a lot of the other usual suspects will be down there. It'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be real special this year. It's kind of a transitional event. It's invitation only. That's going to transcend, you know, until to the future events. So uh, I look forward of, to that. Pete. And, right. uh, yeah. And very and very briefly, also thank you. I, I I appreciate everyone on the call. You mentioned there weren't a huge number, but I am really in awe at the the knowledge that's here. I know many of the people, Mickey and and uh, Ed and Bob Higgins and and Ralph and uh, also Jeff from the UK. He's on a good friend of ours for many years. So anyway, thank you all. Really yeah, I re I really appreciate Jeff calling in from across the pond. Thanks, Jeff. One of these days, we'll get we'll get Stephen, our buddy Stephen Richard, to call. Uh, these guys may come up, might come over for in February. Uh, you know, they get out of that damp weather across the pond and come to nice sunshine state in Florida at that time of year. And uh, you know, uh, it's great to see these guys on the call. Uh, and um, you know, so uh, uh, anyway, good show, guys. We just touched the tip of the iceberg, but uh, you know, it's an ongoing conversation. We'll see where it goes from there. And Cliff, I, I gave you a lot of stuff to put in there. No, nobody could take notes and talking points like Lee Cliff. You're, you're the best at it. I, I really mean that. I always enjoy it. I, you know, it's gotten to the point now when I review the blogs, I don't even have any comments to say anymore. And I, I'm not sure what that's all about. Either you're just so good or maybe I'm starting to lose it. But I don't know, maybe a little bit of both. Anyway, so Joe, good job. You, you really you did all your homework, Joe. And, and and with the pictures and you looked and, you know, you're, you're still Mr. Radio Joe and you know how to ask those questions. And I appreciate you. Um, 
appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time to do that and, and maintain the integrity of the show, even though we have vendors and sponsors on, there are technical informative shows and not just sales pitch on the product. I think that, uh, you know, the Tramex boys and a lot of the other people that we have on here, they do a good job at that. And, um, you know, yeah. So anyway, I think, I think that's important and I think you maintain that and that keeps the integrity of the show. So probably blabbered and rambled on a little bit longer, but you know, these are my boys and, um, that's all I have to say about that. And with that, I'm going to turn it, turn it over to you, Joe. Maybe let Ryan right. have the last word, and then we wrap things up. Thank you, Pete. And uh, Cliff, I want to make sure if you have any final thoughts or questions, you get a chance. Uh, I, I just have uh, something pretty funny, actually. I don't know if you read what, what Ed said on there, that he almost shut down the Orlando airport when he forgot to put his pin meter <laughs> left in his check baggage and the TSI guy <laughs> accused him of having a stun gun. <laughs> I actually must put jump in with a quick one there. Um, I often bring very long insulated pins right. through, through airports without right. any difficulty whatsoever, right. oddly enough. But they stop me with a little spanner a little wrench yeah. and take it off you'd say a little wrench and say yeah yeah, yeah. that's a tool you can't take that with you yeah it is Andrew it before is. we go is there anything you'd like to add anything we missed no I, I was I was looking forward to going into a bit about water activity with you because it was on one of the talking points yes beforehand um but time is short and and it's a it's a it's a big topic i guess um it is we'll have to have you back to talk because i i remember years back now there was you know a big push toward trying to measure water activity and there were a couple of instruments out in the field that uh people were using and i'm glad you did mention it um in the one segment there where you're talking about the, the 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 meter that you guys just put out and um i guess just real quick is it is it something that people are still trying to do? It seems like maybe you've already done it. Well, we did it. We did it some time ago with our data loggers. If you if you look, um, the, well, when I say we did it, um, you know, I I've probably learned more from Mickey Lee and others about water activity than you know the people on this call. So, but we did something very similar to, um, before where. If you plug in a surface temperature probe into a data logger, one of our data loggers, it, it gives you an estimated RH of cold. So if you touch that uh, temperature probe to the surface, it takes the ambient conditions and then it estimates what that uh, equilibrium RH will be at the surface. And if you just remove the percentage and divide by 10, I think you get the water activity. So if you got like 60, uh, an estimated ERH of 65, that becomes 6.5. And maybe um, Mickey or someone could correct me if I'm wrong on that. But it, it's a combination of moisture measurement with surface temperature. And therefore it makes, it you know, that uh, infrared fits really nicely between the two uh, probe meters. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a nice addition. Um, the, the, I don't know if anybody else is doing that, but uh, certainly you guys are, and I, I like that. And Kelvin, before we go, anything you'd like to add that we missed? Just thank you very much for having us. And it's uh, yeah, it's great to meet you, Joe, and great to see you again, Cliff and Pete. Thank you as always. And uh, I look forward to looking at the comments and reading the blog later. Hey, hey Joe. Yes, sir. Uh, before you blog off, I, I got actually something that came up. I would make like a really final quick comment. 
I noticed our, our buddy from Atlanta, Mr. Dave Masons, and he called a little late, but he's been on there and he kind of weighed in. He, he was one of the first guys to go out and get a trim system. And a lot of these trim systems now are being put in all these ASD houses. So there's a lot of information that's being collected from the houses and, and the, you know, the, the contractors that go to these houses to be trained. And one of the things that Dave did that was interesting is he, he hooked it up. Uh, I went down there and visited him one time when I was in Atlanta. He hooked it up and he was testing it around his pool outside. And, he, you know, he was trying to test. And this is something, you know, Andrew, I think I told you this, Andrew, when the, when the first meter came out in the 90s, when I was working for Dry's, the first, you know, that first the moisture uh, encounter, I used to recommend to the contractors that, that they needed to take those meters out and test them in their own house in the garage and areas that they knew were wet, weren't wet. So they could actually figure it out. There's a certain a level of trial and error to these things before they actually went on to jobs and try to explain stuff to their customers. And uh, and that's where we are now with the remote monitoring and this cloud-based stuff. The contract, they need to do a little testing and understand it and grasp it first. Uh, and no matter how experienced they are, don't assume that they know everything. And I think the industry, we're going to go through a learning curve now, just like we did with the meters way back in the day. We're like, It's a lot more sophisticated and people understand that better. Certainly the guys have been doing it for a while anyway i thought i'd kind of weigh in with that and kind of wrap a bow on everything here um i thought that was something good so anyway i appreciate all my buddies calling in there and uh, i'd see you guys around at something uh some event uh the raa in dallas and the winter you know whatever and um anyway it's, uh, it's a good call so thanks guys and uh, thanks to the brothers thank you thanks, pete. pete also pete. want to say thank you to andrew and kelvin reinhardt of tramx meters thanks for joining us my co-host the z-man cliff slotnick john you got to have faith that the controls most importantly our growing group of loyal listeners and our audience and sponsors i also want to mention next week we're going to have a show on the johns hopkins model state indoor air quality act looking forward to that we'll be back next friday at noon with the next broadcast of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening. 